right, welcome back into the Nick Bob Podcast. Uh, I am taping this. It is Sunday, December 11th. I am in Las Vegas. I am actually looking out onto the, the Vegas Strip right now to my hotel room. I am here with Fox, calling both Creighton games on FS1. Uh, so today on the pod, we're going to be hoops heavy. We're going to discuss Creighton and Nebraska basketball. But don't worry, Husker football fans. When I get back into town, it's kind of been a crazy stretch with travel for me here. Bo Rude and I, we're going to sit down. We'll record a pod. We're going to discuss Matt Rule's staff that he's putting together and all the stuff that's happening with Husker football. So be patient. A football pod will be coming soon. But today, we are going to be a little hoops heavy. Okay? So just... Yeah, it's and you know what though with football, in some ways it's nice to let the dust settle with all the staff and then react to it in one big pod. I know Bo has thoughts, so do I. So a Husker football pod will be coming soon. But today we're going we're going basketball, baby. So uh, let, let's start with this. Like I said, I'm taping this. It's Sunday, December 11th. I'm in Las Vegas. I'm here for both Creighton games on Fox. I was on the call last night for BYU Creighton, uh, where BYU beat Creighton 83 to 80. Uh, and the losing streak continues for the Creighton Blue Jays. It, it's just, it's amazing, man. Just a few weeks ago, Creighton was 6-0, and ranked inside the top 10, and now the, the Creighton Blue Jays have lost three straight, or excuse me, four straight. They're 6-4, and four, and surely when the new polls come out on Monday morning, Creighton is going to be out of the top 25. Frustrating, to say the least, obviously. And, you know... I used to give this this analogy on my radio show uh, from time to time to kind of prove a point and make a point, and I'll recycle it here. And my analogy is this. Okay, so let, let's say I have a job, okay? And I'm late to work for a handful of days, a pretty good amount of days uh, of work. And, and each time that I'm late, I have a quote-unquote reason. Hey, sorry, I got a flat tire on the way to work. Really sorry. Hey, sorry, man. I don't. I got food poisoning. I was sick all night and all morning. Hey, sorry. A car accident on the way to work. On and on and on. You get the point. I can go to my boss and tell him those things. And in the moment, you can certainly understand the explanation as to why I was late. Right. My boss can go, okay, well, shoot, geez, you know, car accident, flat tire, you know, he's food poisoning, okay. But at the end of the day, even though I can explain all those isolated incidents, I still was late to work a whole bunch of times in one month, let's say. And that is a problem. That's what I'm having a hard time with, with Creighton right now. Yes, I can turn on the mic here and say, okay, Arizona lost. Arizona, really good team. Their final four good. They only lost by two points. Uh, Creighton had just played two really tough, intense games against Texas Tech and Arkansas. Jays ran out of gas. And then I go, okay, you know, Texas lost. Texas was, you know, they're a top 10, top 15 team on the road, hostile environment. Jays were battling a little bit of a flu bug going on uh, around there. They shot it terrible, four for 27 from three. And despite all that, Creighton had a chance to win late in the game. Okay. Nebraska, you know, just a stinker. Yep. Happens to most teams once or twice a year where you just kind of don't have it. Creighton shot it terrible. They went 10 for 40 from three. Nebraska played great. Okay. And then even BYU in Las Vegas, you go, okay, Ryan Kalkbrenner out, only had about 45 minutes of practice time to prepare without Kalkbrenner, you know, no rim protection or post threat now, Kaluma fouls out with two bonehead fouls, uh, but, but again, Ryan Kalkbrenner's out, so that's going to be really, really challenging. 
Okay. You see, I, I can kind of I can go through each loss and provide an explanation that is perfectly reasonable. But at the end of the day, Creighton's lost four in a row now. Just like at the end of the day, I was late to work a whole bunch of times in a month. So I'm in an interesting place mentally with all this for for Creighton. Like, and, and he, I, I've had a lot of time to think, you know, go, leaving the arena last night, uh, even this morning over breakfast and drinking some coffee. And I, I kept thinking about this with this Creighton team. How many times this season, how many games this season would you say Creighton played great? And how many guys on the team would you say are playing great and have had great seasons? Those two simple questions from a very broad and simple standpoint kind of cut to the heart of the issue. You know, the reality in basketball is you can play great and lose. And and that's kind of just it. I'm, I always talk about this. You can either be process-oriented or results-oriented. And if the results aren't there, okay, what's the process look like to you? If you feel good about it, then don't panic. Certainly a 6-4 and four start and losing four in a row aren't good results. But what about the process, a.k.a. how the team has looked and individuals have looked? And I, I was thinking about that, and I, I kind of go, okay, well, let's just go through the schedule. Let's just go through the schedule. And let's go through each game and simply ask how Creighton looked. How did they play? Let me preface before we do this, though, with this. The lens at which I'm viewing Creighton and judging Creighton is through the lens of a Final Four top 10 caliber team because that was the expectation of this group. We can't move the goalposts now. The, the expectation of this group was a top 10 team, Final Four aspirations. So, okay, let's just go through, let's go through the schedule. First game of the year, St. Thomas didn't look very good. Creighton goes eight for 34 from three. St. Thomas led Creighton with 10 minutes left in the game. And again, St. Thomas was a Division three team two years ago. Now Creighton won, but they didn't look good. North Dakota. Creighton looked pretty good, scored 96 points. It's North Dakota, but got to be fair, Creighton looked good. Holy Cross, same thing, looked pretty good, scored 94 points, led by 34 when they called the dogs off. Still, just Holy Cross, but again, got to be fair, looked good. UC Riverside, thought they looked just okay. Riverside led late in the first half, but Creighton eventually pulled away and won comfortably. Texas Tech and Maui looked great, played great. Arkansas and Maui looked great, played great. Arizona and Maui, you know, I actually didn't think Creighton played very well at all. Had to had to kind of rally late to, to keep it close. That was one of those scores that was maybe a little misleading when you look at the final score, but I thought they just looked okay. On the road at Texas, I didn't think Creighton played well at all. I know they had a chance to win, but I didn't think Creighton looked very good. They didn't look locked in. I didn't think they played great. Nebraska at home, rivalry game, didn't play well at all. BYU, Las Vegas, I didn't think they played great. So out of 10 games so far this year, in my very unscientific, subjective criteria, 
I'd say Creighton has looked good maybe four, maybe five games this year. And listen, I think they've, those other games, I think they've looked a little shaky. And, and like I said, to preface all this, the lens at which I'm viewing and judging this team is through the lens of a Final Four top 10 caliber team. It would be one thing. Considering Creighton's difficult schedule, right? The field in Maui at Texas, right? Like, it'd be, it would be one thing if Creighton was sitting here at six and four, but they actually played well and looked good for seven or eight of those games, but they just, they've lost a couple. But in my opinion, that's not really the case. So that's from the team standpoint. Okay, then you go to the individual players and and simply ask, what kind of season are these individual guys having? Are they playing great? Are they having good years? When I look at the roster and just go down and go down the roster, I'd honestly say only one guy has really improved and played well, and that's Ryan Nemhart. His assist turnover ratio has improved. I think he's been more efficient. He's improved as a free throw shooter. He's finishing better at the rim. I think he's played well. But I'll be honest. Then you just you, you then you just go down the you go down the roster. Baylor Shireman. He hadn't played great. His shooting numbers are way down. Think about this. Shireman last year at South Dakota State. He was a 50-40-80 guy. Shot fifty percent from the floor, forty seven percent from three, and eighty percent from the free throw line. This year. He's 40% from the floor, 36% from three, and 71% from the free throw line. He's got to be better. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza. You know, there are a lot of ways to, to greet someone. Hey, hi, hello, what's up? Another way is, what's popping? Well, here's the thing. That greeting has taken on a new meaning now because the answer to what's popping is now Runza's new popcorn chicken. That's what's popping. Runza's new popcorn chicken is amazing. Little bite-sized, delicious, all-white meat chicken that make any day better immediately. I love them. My wife loves them. My kids cannot get enough. Two-year-old Mac, six-year-old Mava are constantly wanting to get it popping. Great for a snack. Great for a meal. Pair them with the best crinkle fries on planet Earth, and you are Set. All I got to say is you need to get out to a Runza location nearest you and get it popping. What's so hard to understand about that? Get it popping with Runza's all-new popcorn chicken. Runza makes it all better. Ryan Kalkbrenner. His non-COVID illness, that's why he was out uh, against BYU. His non-COVID illness could explain a lot because he just has been a shell of himself defensively this year. His block numbers have completely plummeted. He was 2.6 blocks per game last year. Right now he's at 1.5, and teams have scored on him. Balu from Arizona had 30. They're big guy. You guys saw Derek Walker dominated him in the Nebraska game. Now, again, maybe his illness has slowed him down, but he's not been the dominant force he was last year. Trey Alexander, he's really struggled the last three games. He was 0 for 8 at Texas. 3-for-12 against Nebraska and 3-for-12 against BYU. His numbers overall, if you look at the season's box score or season you know, breakout, like his numbers overall aren't bad, 
but he's just not been impactful in the last handful of games, and he's got to be better as that perimeter defensive stopper. Arthur Kaluma. Now, it's hard. He played his best game last night against BYU, career-high 27 points. He was amazing. But overall, I don't think he's he's played great consistently. He's had spurts, but that consistent game-to-game, half-to-half, I don't think he's been great. All of his numbers are about the same as last year. He's 29% from three. He's got a negative assist-to-turnover ratio. Again, he's had moments where he's looked really good, but I just can't sit here and say, boy, Kaluma has been great this year. Francisco Farabello, career 40% three-point shooter. He's shooting at 33% for this year. He's just been okay. Sharif Mitchell, Sharif Mitchell has scored eight points in 10 games this year. Now, I know he is not an offensive guy. He's a defensive guy, but still, he has struggled. Mason Miller shot it good, but limited as a redshirt freshman. Frederick King, he's been up and down. He really struggled in in Kalkbrenner's absence last night against BYU, getting that start. And then Ben Stolzberg just hasn't played it enough. So sometimes it's, there you go, that's the, sometimes it's just that simple. Sure, I can explain away the four losses. But for 10 games, one month of this season, I'd say Creighton has only played really good in four-ish games, four or five games maybe. And I'd, I'd say only Ryan Nemhard individually has played well this year and is having a really good season so far. So in an, again, an oversimplified, broad way. That's kind of what has been in my mind and what runs counter to the to kind of explaining away the four losses. And that's kind of what concerns me right now. This team just hasn't found it yet. You know, that that intangible, connected, just just five as one, buzzsaw, running through. That team has, they've had flashes. Arkansas, I thought they had flashes. Texas Tech thought they had flashes. But they, they, they're they still searching for it to me. And then the individual players, other than Nemhard, haven't really found their groove. Haven't really played great. Let's just be real with each other. And it's a little perplexing. But I will say this. Yes, play, dudes like Shireman and Alexander and the two guards off the bench and all those guys, they got to be better. But I do think a lot of this comes back to Ryan Kalkbrenner. And it's, it's hard to know exactly how Kalkbrenner has felt physically all year. But it's just funny. The first game of the year against St. Thomas, he had the flu. Didn't go through shoot around, could barely hadn't eaten, was really struggling. He had the flu. I thought Kalkbrenner, anybody that watched it on TV, you could see it. I thought he looked sick and just completely wiped in that Arizona game. They kept showing him on TV, coughing and struggling and kind of, you know, shoulder slouched, head down. He, he, I thought he looked like he was something was wrong with him in that Arizona game. And then, like I said, I know a lot of the team had the flu for that Texas game. And overall, I just think Kalkbrenner's not looked right to me all year. So that when the news drops that Kalkbrenner's out with the non-COVID illness and misses the BYU game, it all kind of added up to me. 
It has appeared to me, and again, I hate speculating like this and whatever. I mean, who knows? It has appeared to me like Ryan Kalkbrenner hasn't been healthy all year to me. And for as fun and as talented as Arthur Kaluma is, you know, highest projected NBA prospect on the team, as for as, as fun and amazing as Ryan Nemhart is, and for as skilled and smart and well-rounded as Shireman is, and same with Alexander, the most important player on Creighton's roster is Ryan Kalkbrenner, period. He's Creighton's MVP. If Creighton's team was a building, he's the load-bearing pillar, the load-bearing wall. So when he's not right, or when he's not playing well, or when he's not himself, everything changes. The whole reason Creighton made the NCAA tournament last year was because of their defense, and that is all Kalkbrenner. He's the Big East Defensive Player of the Year. Creighton was a Ken Palm top 20 defense a year ago. Creighton was eighth in the country last year in two-point field goal percentage defense. That is all Ryan Kalkbrenner. Their whole defensive plan is centered around him. And when he isn't right and he isn't impactful and disruptive and blocking and altering shots, things begin to fall apart a little bit. And for as much as basketball nowadays has become three-point centric, basketball is still a game that is largely about scoring at the rim and defending the rim, getting easy baskets, and taking away easy baskets in the paint for your opponent. When Ryan Kalkbrenner is right, he allows for Creighton to usually dominate those two areas, scoring at the rim, and defending the rim. But that hasn't been there this year. Think about this. Last four games, so this four-game losing streak, here are just points in the paint, usually a barometer of easy baskets, right? Last four games, points in the paint. Arizona, 48, Creighton, 24. Texas and Creighton, even at 36. Nebraska, 46, Creighton, 16. BYU, 42, Creighton, 24. Creighton's getting outscored by an average of 18 points per game in the paint right now during this four-game losing streak. Great barometer of easy baskets. And overall, Creighton's two-point field goal percentage defense has fallen to 129th in the country. Again, last year, like I just said, it was eighth in the country. So Kalkbrenner, he's everything to this team. He gives you that rim protector. The whole defensive plan is built around him. And then offensively, he scores at the rim. He's a great pick-and-roll threat. You can throw the ball into the post to him. He led the Big East in field goal percentage last year, and he led the Big East in offensive rebounds last year. And while his field goal percentage this year is is good, his blocks, his offensive rebounding, and overall presence inside has dropped. So Kalkbrenner needs to get healthy and right for Creighton to really maximize as a team. That can't be overlooked or discussed enough. So for me, it just he he hasn't looked right to me all year. Again, you know, he, he was sick at he was flu for the St. Thomas game, just he looked coughing a lot and struggling in that Arizona game. Now all of a sudden he's, you know, a sidelined with you know non-COVID illness. You go, okay. I mean, it's start now, now it all like it, 
it all kind of goes, oh, all right. Because for a while, I was like, man, what is that? Kalkbrenner, he just, this is weird. Like, especially defensively, he just has not had that same, his drop coverage and ball screen, his ball screens have not been there. He's not moved as well. He's not blocked shots or altered shots as well. It's just all not really been there. And I'm like, what is going on? And so maybe there's a chance the dude's just not been healthy all year. Maybe there's a chance this dude has been sick for a month. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it. And how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella. Won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And like I said, he's the most important Blue Jay. Everything is built around him defensively, and then he provides a ton for this team offensively. This team has a tough time scoring at the rim without Kalkbrenner. So naturally, I knew when, listen, when I got word he was out against BYU, I didn't care that BYU had just lost a couple in a row to South Dakota and Utah Valley. I looked at BYU, and I kind of actually liked their personnel. I knew I, that... I saw that spread was 10. I thought that was crazy without Kalkbrenner. Now, again, usually Vegas has a way of knowing that, but like I thought Creighton was going to have their hands full against BYU, and it turns out they did without Kalkbrenner. But again, the Kalkbrenner thing cannot be overlooked or discussed enough. And I'm hoping that once he gets healthy, that that Ryan Kalkbrenner from last year and maybe even a step forward from improving over the offseason, like that guy will come back. Because if that guy comes back, look out. Now, the other guy's got to get better, but again, there's he's the load-bearing wall, the pillar, the MVP. So, there you go. I, again, I'm not ready to sell my Creighton stock. No way. I'll reiterate what I said last week on the pod. I still believe in this team. I know it's it seems hard to say right now, given the last four games, but I still like the individual pieces. I like the talent, and I know Greg McDermott can, is a great coach, but they got to put it all together. Kalkbrenner needs to get healthy, needs to get back to his old self. I think once that happens, that's a huge step in the right direction. But again, I also got to be real with y'all. I can sit here and make excuses for this team and tell you, you know, they look great. They don't right now. Six and four is six and four. Four losses in a row is four losses in a row. They got to get this thing back on track. Certainly was an amazing rally last night to give yourself a chance to win, erasing that deficit late with the full-court press. But they didn't get it done. They didn't get it done. Other concern I was thinking about with Creighton is, is the Big East. Like, if you look at it, the Big East outside of UConn hasn't really put together a very good non-con slate as a, as a collective conference. You Now, listen, UConn might be the number one team in the country. UConn might be the best team in the country. They've looked incredible. 
But everyone else has either struggled or just been okay. Villanova struggled. Xavier, they've been okay, but they have lost all their resume-boosting non-conference you know, games. Indiana, Duke, Gonzaga lost all three of those. Marquette does have a big win over Baylor. St. John's has only lost one game. They got hammered by Iowa State, but they don't really have a great win on their schedule. Butler's been okay. Seton Hall's not, not played great. Providence doesn't have a great win. You just go on and on. So what I'm what I say all that to to say that, you know, Creighton is kind of, you know, they've kind of fumbled their way through a non-conference, the non-conference a bit. And unfortunately, I don't know how much conference play is going to provide a ton of super high quality wins either. Now, I do think Creighton's wins over Arkansas and Texas Tech are going to be very good wins on their resume. Very good. But that's about it right now. And, you know, as I'm taping this, Creighton's going to get one more crack at a quality non-con opponent in Arizona State on Monday night in Vegas. In Arizona State, they're 9-1 and one on the year, and they've looked pretty darn good. So Creighton's got another chance here, but you get my point. You know, really, Creighton really had a great non-conference schedule for racking up quality wins, and Creighton just hasn't fully done that. And then the, with, you combine that with the Big East struggling a little bit too, it's just unfortunate, the kind of combination of those two things. But big opportunity, big, big opportunity uh, you know, for Creighton tomorrow night against, uh, against Arizona State. Shoot, as you're listening to this, you might even, that game might have already happened. But uh, it'll be challenging without Kalkbrenner again, no doubt about it. Okay, let me shift quick to Nebraska basketball. Boy, what a game, what a fight against Purdue inside Pinnacle Bank Arena. Wow. You know, Nebraska had every chance in the world to win it and just couldn't get it done. Certainly that phantom foul call on Wilcher late was bad and unfortunate, but you know, even though that happened and Nebraska lost in overtime, I will say this. This is the best I've felt about Nebraska basketball under Fred Hoiberg since he took over, like right now. I mean, think about it. Nebraska was close to knocking off two top 10 teams in one week. And Purdue is legit, man. Top five Ken Palm offense. Nebraska made it tough as hell on him, made it tough on Zach Eady. Held Purdue to 65 points in a game that went to overtime. Held Purdue to 39% from the floor. Nebraska had 19 offensive rebounds. They battled Purdue to almost dead even on the glass. So it's just... We've talked about it, but it bears repeating. It's remarkable to watch this Nebraska team fight and scrap and compete. And, you know, this past week, I called Iowa State at Iowa. And I was at Iowa State shoot-around, and I was talking to T.J. Otzelberger, the Iowa State head coach. And he said something to me that even though he was kind of talking about his team, it made me think of Nebraska. So I'm sitting there talking to T.J., and... TJ said that Jeff Van Gundy, who apparently is a big mentor of his, and they have a relationship. But TJ Otzelberger tells me, you know, Jeff Van Gundy, the line he gives TJ all the time is, hey, if you want toughness, fucking recruit it. That line, that little anecdote, even though, you know, it was about Iowa State and I was doing Iowa, you know, the, the Cyhawk rivalry game here, you know, it made me think of Fred Hoiberg in Nebraska. If you want toughness, fucking recruit it. 
If you want and need toughness, you better seek it out on the recruiting trail. It's just funny. Basketball is so interesting. It's funny how we sometimes view traits or attributes like toughness and energy and unselfishness and playing hard like differently than traits like shooting or ball handling. When in all reality, they all should probably be in the same bucket of like tangible skills, even though some of them are a little bit more intangible. It's hard to you can quantify a shooting percentage, hard to quantify toughness into like a percentage or whatever. But you know it when you see it. The reality is all those skills matter. Ball handling matters. Energy matters. Shooting matters. Toughness matters. And for as much as Nebraska has lacked a bunch of things in Fred Hoiberg's first three years, I could argue that toughness was maybe the biggest thing lacking. And Fred Hoiberg finally addressed it. Or in the words of Jeff Van Gundy, if you want toughness, fucking recruit it. We've, you know, Gary, Bandamel, Greasel, above everything else, those guys are tough. And I'll be honest, I think Fred Hoiberg was someone who valued and sought skill and offense over everything else on the recruiting trail. And what you found out is, first of all, I think you found out his the skill that he's recruited has not been great in his first three years. That's number one. But, but most of all, man, your skill has to be so superior and so good to overcome a lack of toughness. Like in the Big Ten and in big boy college basketball, you know how skilled you got to be to overcome being you know, a little soft, not great on defense, not great on the glass, not a lot of toughness. You got to be supremely skilled collectively as a team. And I think Fred Hoiberg kind of thought they could just, you know, pace and space and three-point their way past the lack of size and toughness and grit and fight on defense. I really think they thought, eh, just whatever. Okay, yep, we're going to give up 15, 20 offensive rebounds a game, but we're going to make 15 threes. And okay, yep, we're going to give up 85. We'll score 88. I think that, that, that mindset permeated over there. Until this offseason where I think clearly Fred Hoiberg had a, a, a revelation. And what Fred Hoiberg is doing is what I think sometimes can be one of the hardest things in coaching to do. And that is knowing when to stay the course and knowing when to make big changes. And it's hard. You know, all coaches have to be stubborn to a certain degree. Because if you don't have conviction in what you're doing, you'll never have success. But conf- conviction in the in the face of a of a lack of success over the course of time, kind of, you know, you either adapt or you likely die as a coach. What is that Billy Bean line in, in Moneyball? You know, he, he's talking to Jonah Hill. He's like, hey, adapt or die. Kind of, kind of true. But the tricky thing is, okay, when do I have to adapt and when do I stay the course? When do I stay true to what I, I we've been doing? And when do I need to maybe wipe the you know the dry erase board clean and just and and go a different direction? It's really hard as a coach. Like you, know, you think about it, like Tom Osborne in the '90s when he made the change to more speed on defense, or even Greg McDermott switching from a slower, you know, methodical style to more up tempo style. Like sometimes you have to slide your philosophy under the microscope and really take a good hard look at it. 
And again, that can be really hard for a coach because oftentimes that initial philosophy is what got you where you are today. And that, that is certainly a, true of Fred Hoiberg. Fred Hoiberg would not hold the title of head basketball coach at Nebraska if his initial philosophy didn't yield amazing results. His offensive-centric, up-tempo brand of basketball got him great success at Iowa State and got him the Chicago Bulls head coaching job. So it can be hard then to get to your next stop at Nebraska and really look at yourself in the mirror after three straight losing seasons and make changes. That can be hard. And I'll be honest, you know, I think most coaches aren't equipped to take self-inventory and adapt and change. So I give I give Fred Hoiberg a ton of credit for really being honest about his program, the last lack of success, and making changes. Again, he clearly said, we got to get tougher, we got to get bigger, we got to get better on the glass, we got to buy into defense, and he went out and he recruited all those things. And also, he made changes on his staff as well, which I think has made a big difference. When things aren't going right, you either got to change yourself or change your surroundings. And in Fred Hoiberg's case, he kind of did both. And while, let's not get crazy here, Nebraska isn't a top 10 team or anything like that. This team is way tougher, way grittier, way more fight, way more fun to watch. And I think that toughness and grit and fight and buy-in on the defensive end will give them a lot more opportunities to win games this year in the Big Ten. So again, in the words of Jeff Van Gundy via TJ Otzelberger, you want toughness? Fucking recruit it. So... Tip of the cap to Hoiberg for being willing to adapt, man. Pretty remarkable to see the the turnaround on defense and toughness and fight in just one year, in just a very short period of time. All right, there you go. Hoops heavy pod, baby. Again, reminder, when I get back into town, Bo Rude and I are going to sit down and record a pod discussing Matt Rule's staff, all that's happening with Husker football. So keep an eye out for that. Appreciate you guys listening and supporting the podcast, and we'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A Heard at Sports Network production.